Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It is great to see you guys. Thanks for being here. And we are kicking off 2022 today. So good to have you guys be a part of this. Brand new series entitled Three Enemies of Your Soul. And we're going to be talking about this over the next several weeks. And I think it'll be very helpful for you. But as we start a brand new year, I want to talk about one of the more difficult sides of starting a new year that many of us feel we don't always talk about, but we kind of carry it around in our body, this tension all the time. It doesn't matter if it's a new year or the end of an old year. And it's some tension that you feel maybe within your chest, you feel it in your body. And it was here before COVID, long before the pandemic, although that kind of made it worse. But you just, you feel this tension a lot of the time. And it's hard to know how to process where that comes from and why am I feeling like this? Why do I feel so tired There's this kind of like deep down psychological, emotional weariness, maybe spiritual depletion that you feel at times. And it maybe uh, has caused you to ask this question. Why does every day feel like a battle? You ever feel like that, right? This is the reality of what most Americans feel like, most Christians feel like. There's this kind of feeling of, why does every day feel like a battle? Why is it the, the, just to remain faithful feels like a battle sometimes? You ever felt that? Remain faithful if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to remain faithful to your faith. It's a battle. It feels like a battle. And today I want to talk to you about the fact that the reason it feels like a battle is because it is. It is a battle. And this battle I want to talk about, kind of unpack, because we see this battle being talked about over and over, especially by one of the primary contributors of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he talks about it over and over. For those, especially who are followers of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, this battle is very real. And he talks about this uh, sort of parallel between following Christ and being in a war. And one of the most famous places where he references this is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, where he says, fight the good fight of the faith. I bet you've probably heard that before, right? Fight the good fight of the faith. Well, he uh, was talking about the fact that, yeah, this is very much like a war. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, he says it this way, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, but when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. He, he's basically saying, listen, it's not an if, but it is a when you're going to have a battle. You're going to have a fight. It's going to happen. There's, there's, there's spiritual um, warfare that is happening, and you're going to be a part of it. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, the apostle Paul is praying for their pastor, Timothy, there at Ephesus. And he's saying, here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that you'll fight the battle well. I, I pray that he will and you will, right? And then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. And then here's the last one, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 
Paul says, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. And as if to say, this battle can be won. It can be, we can have victory in this battle. It's not something that you have to just be, feel like you're a victim of all the time. Now, with all of this kind of spirituality and uh, the spiritual forces of evil, you may be, some of you, I know you're bound to be thinking, wait a minute, this feels like a little bit antiquated. This feels sort of like old-fashioned, old news, Will. I don't feel this is maybe real current with where I'm living my life. But we have to agree and ask the question, why is our world in such a mess, right? Why are we? So many of us, if we're really honest, we're in a mess. Why is this? Why does it seem to be so clear to so many of us that there is something that is wreaking havoc both, havoc both on our souls and our society today? It seems to be clear that there is a war going on. There's a war going on. It's not a war of guns and bombs. It's not even a war of political ideologies. It's, to use Paul's words, it's not a war with people, although people sometimes are used. It's not a war against flesh and blood. This is not our struggle. All right? It's against the spiritual forces of evil. It is a war on lies. It's a war on lies. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. And it's not so much that we tell lies. The problem is less that we tell lies, and it's more that we live them. The idea is that we have false narratives about reality that sometimes, we, unbeknownst to us, we just adopt them because they are so popular in our culture. They come up on our Instagram feed, Facebook feed, they are the going philosophies of our day, and we just sort of go along, and we just adopt them sometimes, and sometimes we don't even realize we've done it. But when we do, they come into our mind. They rule our bodies. They shape our identities and ultimately our destinies, and, and all the while, these deceptions, these lies are destroying us, and they're, they're sabotaging our very souls and I just want to say to you, be, maybe you've not thought about this in a while, or maybe you haven't thought about it ever, but that your life, spiritually speaking, it's, you're in a war. There is a battle going on. Now, there's this interesting book, the ancient masterpiece on warfare from the 5th century, known as The Art of War by Sun Tzu. He had famously said, know your enemy. Know your enemy. Before you can conquer anybody who's coming against you, you really need to understand your enemy. But, so over the next several weeks, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to be talking about, the point of the series. And as we do this, my hope and prayer is that I can unmask the face of the greatest enemies of your soul so that you might be able to recognize and resist the things that are coming against you your marriage, your children, your future, your spiritual, your, your soul against you personally. You need to know what those are and how do you fight those things? It's, it's hard to delineate and distinguish and discern how to do that sometimes. But we're going to talk about that over the next several weeks. The early church fathers or early church leaders 
had a, had a category for this. They called it the unholy trinity, these enemies of the soul. Early Christian leaders taught that there were three enemies of the soul, and here they are. <clears throat> Pardon me, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's right. And that you, whoever you are, human beings, you are always caught up in a battle with one or multiples of these. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you absolutely are. Whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not, you are thrust in the middle of this battle. I kind of think about it like um, how the Spartans raised their children. You know, the young boys, they, there wasn't an option whether or not you were going to be a warrior. Everybody was trained to be a warrior. And there's a sense in which this is kind of what Paul is talking about. And we see later Jesus talking about this idea that you need to understand there's a war going. There's a battle going on here. And it's a battle for you. It's a battle for your heart, your soul. And it's a battle for your marriages and your kids. And it's involved in all of this, right? Now, today, for our purposes, we're going to narrow our focus for today. And we're going to talk about first... The devil, all right? What a way to kick off the year. Let's talk about the devil, right? All right, here we go. This is going to be great. But what's funny, if we can be really honest, when we think about the devil, many times we think about exorcisms, we think about poltergeists or hauntings, we think about mysterious diseases people got in times of history or places in the world and things like that. But what's really fascinating, guys, and this is really ironic, the first time we see Jesus in probably the greatest and deepest place where Jesus gives an explanation and teaching on Satan himself, on the devil, he doesn't mention any of those things that I just talked about. As a matter of fact, what it was is a public debate with the thought leaders of his day, the erudite minds of his day, over truth and lies that he was debating with the Pharisees who were the power brokers of the Jewish faith of the early first century and did not like Jesus because he was teaching something that opposed what they taught. But Jesus was trying to correct wrong thinking where lies and deceptions had snuck in. He was trying to bring truth to those things. But here's what I'd like us to do. We're going to break in on the conversation that's been recorded for us in the Gospel of John, John's record or account of the works and words of Jesus. Chapter 8, we're going to start with verse 31. So we're going to start right there. Let's take a look at that together. So here's what Jesus says. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching... You are really my, let's say it together, really my disciples. And a disciple means a pupil, a learner, a follower, right? So if you hold to my, like you have to actively continue to hold on to my teaching. And holding on isn't just intellectual agreement with, oh yes, Jesus, what you say is correct, I agree with you. But holding means that I have put into practice, like the application of what he taught, I'm going to go through the painstaking process to align my life with his life and his words. Now, I'm not going to get it right every time, I'm not going to be perfect every time, but that's what it means to be a disciple, a follower. And this is Jesus just clarifying. 
And then he goes a step further. This is really fascinating. He says, then you will know when you start to do this with your life. And I hope that 2022 is a year you start to do it more than maybe ever before. He says, and when you do this, then you will know the, let's say it together, the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's saying when you finally start to say, because in this world, there's going to be a, a moment of push coming to shove when it comes to the teaching of Jesus. His teaching is not the this popular thing to, to, to believe in in this world. I don't know if you've noticed that. It is a, we are a, um, a beautiful minority. And, and it's the way it's always been, right? It's this beautiful remnant of God who's saying, I'm gonna follow what he says. I'm gonna believe his truth. And what's interesting here is that Jesus is coming with an assumption not just to these people, but to all people of all time. Not just that time, but even us today. And here's this assumption. You're not free. You think you might be. You live in a free country, but you're actually not free. You start off from a place of not free. What do we call people who don't have freedom? They're slaves. He says, first thing you have to understand, and this is a very humbling thing. This requires us to look at ourselves in a different way that you are a slave to something. That you are a slave to something that has started as a concept in your mind. You've believed something that is false. It's a deception. But the beautiful good news of Jesus, he says, I've come to set you free. I've come to bring you the truth that will break the spell of that deception over your mind, your body, your identity, your destiny, so that you can be radically different people. You can be a whole new creation in Jesus. And he goes a step further later that I'm not just coming to tell you the truth. I am coming to be your truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. <clears throat> so he's saying, listen, I've come to set you free, and my desire is that you might be free. So when he says this, <clears throat> the Pharisees took offense to it. They immediately read between the lines and said, oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying we're slaves. Well, their pride and arrogance would not let them accept such a teaching. So they say in the very next verse, verse 3, 33, <clears throat> He says, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anybody, which I can't help but think. When I picture in my mind Jesus having this conversation with the Pharisees, him smiling a little bit going, are you kidding me right now? Right? Do you know your own history? Do you remember the Exodus story? Do you remember Egypt? Never been slaves to anybody? <clears throat> Babylon, Persia, currently to Rome at that time. They were slaves to Rome, 100%. But Jesus doesn't say any of these things <clears throat> because what Jesus is talking about, let's all enjoy our beverage together right now. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> what Jesus is talking about here is not political or economic slavery. He's talking about spiritual slavery. Something you can't see when you just look at somebody many times unless that Thought has become an addiction. It's manifest itself in some way. <clears throat> Many times you don't see it, but Jesus is saying it's there. 
It's there. And when you have that push come to shove moment with my truth, and you choose not to follow my truth, you say, nope, I'm going to go with my deception. I'm going to go with what I desire, what I want, what I hear, what I have accepted, what I have adopted, what I want. <clears throat> he tells us in verse 34, everyone who sins is, becomes a slave to sin. I know you feel like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to pick my own version of sexuality. I'm going to pick my own version of how my own personal morality, <clears throat> I'm going to do all that for me, and I'm going to call the shots on that. But the moment that that is in conflict with my truth, you will become incarcerated to that sin. It will be a slave driver to your life. It will begin to own you. Jesus says, I don't want that for you. <coughs> we have one more, all right? He's saying, don't, don't, uh, don't live like that. Don't let that be what defines your life because it will begin to own you. In other words, it will become what he's implying here. And if you read the entire conversation, it kind of becomes your daddy. It becomes your father. It becomes the ruler of you and your home. It calls the shots for your life. And he tells, he even says to the, the, the uh, religious leaders, he's going, that you're not listening to God, you're listening to your father. And he hasn't quite said who the father is yet. And they get really offended by this. In verse 41, he says, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. <clears throat> to which Jesus says, no, you're false, not God. <laughs> because I'm speaking the very words of God and you won't receive them. You're not listening. You're not listening to me. And then uh, the next verse, he tells them in verse uh, 42, he says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. And he goes into, shortly before this, explains that, listen, not only are you not receiving my word, you're trying to end me. You are secretly planning my murder, my, my death, your, my crucifixion. You're already working on it behind closed doors. He calls them out publicly. And he goes on to say, you belong to your father, the devil. You think that offended the most religious guys in town, right? And you want to carry out your father's desires. You want to do what he wants done. He was a murderer from the beginning. Hear what Jesus is saying about the devil. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. None. He goes on to say this. And when he lies, he being the devil, he speaks his native language. Like that is his language. That is what he speaks better than anybody. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. You don't believe me. Now, I want to take just a moment to unpack this little passage right here because Jesus gives us three really powerful facts or teachings about the devil, okay? And I think it's important to 
to establish who he is, what he is, and what his agenda is, and then we can move forward. I think it'll be really good and clarifying for a lot of us as we look at this. So here's the first one. What is Jesus teaching us about the devil? First, first and foremost, and this is a a big pill to swallow if you didn't grow up being taught this or understand this or this is not your current reality or worldview, but there, there is a devil, right? In Jesus' mind, it wasn't like, symbolic or metaphorical devil, like, yeah, we all kind of act like devils a little bit sometimes. No, no, no. Like, there is a devil. Like, it, he, he is an entity that is an animated force on this world that is trying to destroy things that God is trying to build. There is a devil, meaning the accuser, the Satan, the evil one. These are some of the titles that are given throughout Scripture. The tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver, the great dragon from Revelation, the ancient serpent that leads the whole world astray from chapter uh, 12, verse 9. Now, this is really interesting here because Jesus gives these titles to Satan. I like what one commentary says, that you never actually hear a name given to him. They're always titles. They're always just descriptions. As if to say, Jesus' rival, his number one rival, doesn't get a name. He never gratifies him with a name. He just calls him what he does. It's kind of more of a job description, really, is what it is. And then, three times in the Gospel of John, almost back to back, he calls Satan the prince of this world. Now, within the Roman world, Roman government, a prince was the highest ranking official in a city or a region. And even over in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he is fasting for 40 days, some of you may remember this story, and at the end of the 40 days, he is tempted by Satan. Satan comes to him, and one of the things he says to him is that all the kingdoms of the world are mine to give to whomever I want. And Jesus doesn't argue with him. As if to say, of all the creatures on this earth, he is the most influential. Now, with that said, let me clarify something. He is a created being. He is a creature. He is not a creator. He is in no way, shape, or form, please hear me, he is no way, shape, or form equal to God in any, any way right? Every place that Jesus talks about this, it's revealed in scripture about the showdown that's coming when Jesus returns. It is literally his breath, his appearance that utterly decimates the devil. Like there's not a fight. I just want to be clear about that. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has come to bring truth that will keep us from being prisoners to him and his deceptions and his lies, even now, even right now, that we can begin to see more and more victory in our lives spiritually than maybe ever before. So here's the second thing that Jesus teaches. Second thing is that the devil is a murderer. And remember he says he was a murderer from the beginning, all the way back from the beginning of all things Satan is this murderer, and what is a murderer? But someone who is intent is to end life. To end life. And two chapters later, in chapter 10, verse 10 of John, Jesus talks about this thievery, this, this thieving demon, Satan. He says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is his agenda. In other words, it's like Jesus saying, the thing you need to understand about the devil, is that he is hell-bent on destruction. 
absolutely, completely. And wherever there is love, he wants to corrupt it. Wherever there is life, he wants to end it. Wherever there is beauty, he wants to deface it. Wherever there is unity and human flourishing, he wants to either push it to anarchy or to tyranny. He doesn't care which one. He just wants to make us fight each other. That's all he wants. So his pro-death, anti-life, and pro-chaos agenda is an insatiable fire, Jesus says. He will continue this until his last day. But Jesus, on the other hand, he is the author of life itself. He is an advocate not only for life, but for love and beauty. He tells us he is the author of truth. And that everything, anything that is, that is true and noble and right, whatever is pure and lovely and admirable, anything that is excellent and praiseworthy, Paul writes over in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Think about such things. You know why? Because these are the things of God, the things of Jesus. Meditate your mind. And by the way, he tells us that right after he's showing us the cure for anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything, but in Every situation by prayer and petition by, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he tells us what to focus on, right? This is what Jesus is all about. He's saying, this is what I came for. This is who I am. Focus on me and what I'm about. And it will change not only the thought patterns of your life, it will change the way you feel within your body. It will change the trajectory of your life because it changes your identity. He will redefine for you who you actually are. And it's so freeing. It's beautiful. But if we reject that, we become a prisoner to the deceptions of the devil. And the devil's intent is to wreck love. One relationship, one community, one nation, and one generation at a time. And if you doubt that, just check your news feeds, right? We see it every day. It's what he's doing. It's all over the world. Why is the world in such a mess? Why are we in such a mess? This is Jesus' explanation for why that is. Here's the third thing that Jesus teaches us here. The third thing is that the devil is the father of lies, he tells us. In other words, his primary means to get what he wants is to deceive. You see, Satan doesn't have the power of God. He, he can't manipulate reality, but he can redefine it for us. He can get us to believe something that's not true, and in believing that, he can wreck and destroy and side, you know, uh, to derail what God's trying to do in our life. Think about this uh, illustration for just a second. Imagine two people, they, they fall in love, they get married, right? And one person believes the other person is cheating and unfaithful to them, right? But let's say the reality is it's not true. But whatever, you, you cannot convince this person number one that person number two is not cheating. Like, they are just determined they're going to believe it. Even though it never happens, can the believing of the lie destroy that marriage, yes or no? Yes! You've seen it happen, some of you. 
The lie can make the untruth become a reality. This is the power behind the deception. If we're not careful, we can fall into that. And, what, and by Jesus saying he's the father of lies, in other words, he gives birth to them. In other words, he is the origin point of all deception. Every time a human being, man, woman, boy, girl, any person throughout history has in a moment of do I do the truth or do I do a lie? Do I just try to deceive or am I going to go with what is accurate and truthful? And in that moment, feeling pressure, they go with, I'm gonna deceive a little, I'm gonna fudge the truth a little bit right here because I think the end result of life is gonna turn out better for me if I lie right now. That's a deception. It's a misinterpretation of reality. It does not correspond with the actual reality of the universe that God has made. He's like, make no mistake, everyone will be held accountable for all those decisions, right? Thank the Lord that Jesus says, if you're mine, I will forgive and justify all of those past sins and make it as if it never happened. I'm gonna take it all on myself, and that's what he did at the cross. And Jesus, all throughout his ministry, he was constantly telling us, I've come to destroy the works of the devil. And here's how he shows us that. In Mark chapter three, verse 27, he says, I've come to bind the strong man, which was a metaphor that he used for Satan himself. He says, I've come to set the captives free. Free from what? The bondage of the deception of the devil. And the, who are the captives? It's humanity. It's all of us. And Jesus says that he, he did this all throughout his ministry, but he did it to the ultimate degree when he died on the cross. His, his death and through the crucifixion and his resurrection from the dead is when he ultimately, once and for all, decimated and destroyed Satan's hold on his people and this world. And this is how it's put in Colossians 2.15, that he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. As if to say, and Paul is bringing out something that Jesus made so clear, that when he resurrected from the dead, it was like D-Day for Hitler. It was the beginning of the end. It sealed his fate. Satan knows this. His days are numbered. His reign on this earth is coming to a fast end. And God's kingdom is coming more and more through his people. This is why Jesus said, pray daily that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through us, through our obeying, through our choosing to hold on to his teaching, to love him and his truth more than the deceptions of this world, his kingdom comes to earth a little bit more and a little bit more every day. Now I get it, for some of you, I mentioned this early on in the message, you're thinking, man, I just don't know if I can get on board with this, Will, all this ancient talk about the devil and evil, you know, powers of the evil uh, spirit uh, uh, in this age and prince of this world, all this stuff. Gosh, I don't know what to do with this. And I just want to encourage you today. One of the big values of our culture today is having an open mind, and that's all that I ask. Over the next several weeks, would you just remain with an open mind? 
and that you would just suppose, that you would leave the door open, that maybe Jesus is right, that his definition of reality is reality. What he taught is truth actually is truth, and that his truth could set you free. But as long as we won't even be open to that, we seal ourselves off from the truths that could set us free. I love this quote at the end of the movie, Usual Suspects. They were chasing this guy, Kaiser Sose, all throughout the movie, and he's this elusive character, and they compare him to the devil at the end and says, nobody believed he was real. That's what was his, that was his power. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And as long as he's got you believing that, he doesn't have to deceive you. You're already deceived. He doesn't have to work very hard because you'll never trust God. As long as he can keep you saying, God, I can't trust God, then he's got you. But here's a question I want you to think about. If Jesus understood, what if Jesus understood the true nature of reality better than we do? What if he was the greatest, most intelligent teacher to ever live and his teaching was the most piercing to date on the reality of our world and the problems that plague humanity. And I just want to encourage you today that if it feels like every day is a fight, every day feels like a war, it's because it is. It is. But praise God, he has given us his truth that can help us win, that can help us be free that if we will hold to his truth, the truth of God through his son Jesus can set us free. And I want to encourage you today, would you be open to that and just say, God, would you just show me where I have, unbeknownst to me, bought into deceptions in my life and I didn't even realize I was doing it. Show me where I've done that, where push came to shove and I shoved out your truth and I am now a prisoner to a lie and I don't want to live like that anymore. And some of you know secretly, quietly, you don't like to talk about this, certainly not bring it up at church, but you know there is deep down a deception. There is an incarceration. There is an imprisonment, a slavery that is happening in your life because you have believed a lie. You're living your lie in hopes of achieving a certain amount, earning a certain amount, keeping somebody happy, a group of somebody's getting the approval of somebody, getting the love of somebody. If I could just get that, then I would be okay. And it is an elusive chasing a lie that will never satisfy your soul. You will only find what you're looking for in Jesus himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everything that you, you long for, you will find in me. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.